It's time to raise your voice. It's time to be heard. Because everything counts. Everything matters. Good news. Christian values. Alabama's Christian Talk Radio. With Greg Davis. Priority Talk. Hey, hey. This is the second hour of Priority Talk Radio. Glad to be with you tonight. Live on a, what day is it today? It's a Thursday night. My name's Nate Williams. We have Stuart, man in the phones, man in the boards, making sure everything sounds just right. He does an amazing job there. So, Stuart, I have a question for you. Shoot away. How controversial are you feeling right now? Are you feeling like, let's start a fight? Or are you like, no, let's not do that? I won't kick a kitten, but I'll spit on it. How's that, how's that sound? <laughs> that sounds terrible. Oh, well, pretty controversial <laughs> then. Let's go. <laughs> I have never heard that saying before. I just made it. I'm not at a 10, but I'm kind of at like a 6, you know? Okay. All right. Well, do you have any animals, Stuart? Um, well, four cats. Four cats. Not, not, okay, Shame so on you. Back in Montgomery, my family has four cats okay. and one dog. Okay. Had two, but one recently passed, so we have one dog. Got you. Um, well, I just have to say, I might and have they, to do like a welfare check they're, on your cats are, after they that. They are fantastic. Okay. That's why right. I left. That's why I left. <laughs> Couldn't handle the cats. No. All right. Stewart's feeling controversial. All right. There is a model of church planting slash church growth that bothers me to no end and i might get some angry phone calls i might get some angry emails well if you want to email me i don't give out my email much it's nate at prioritytalkradio.com just like it's greg at prioritytalkradio.com it is nate at the same anyways if that's what you want to direct your anger towards if you're an email person that's that. Call or text in 205-941-1011. But anyways, there's a church model out there for church planning, church growth, which is, okay, we're going to enter an area with a bunch of people for a church plant. We are going to completely uh, take away the next generation from the churches surrounding the church plant and then we're just going to steal sheep from a bunch of other churches that are already there in order to grow i'm not going to mention names i won't so don't don't come at me or do i don't care but anyways it bugs me because what often happens then this church enters in this church is planted takes all the young people from the other churches that have already been there and been established and then they call that church growth or they take a bunch of people from surrounding churches and i was like oh look how fast we're growing uh yeah well that's called sheep stealing anyways come at me bro i don't mind i can handle it i think i might cry later but i don't know but i'll handle it 
okay. When church growth eats itself, there is a uh, article on mere orthodoxy titled when growth eats itself and basically what the article says is church growth is actually it's not positive or negative it's just a thing that happens or the article calls it an externality that your church growing is neither good nor bad and oftentimes as, as someone who's been a part of churches and Different. I've been to a part of a bunch of different churches being in the military, a, a military kid. I'm, I'm often told church growth is a good thing, that you should aim for church growth. You want more and more people to attend your local church. Partly it is practical, I get it, that um, eventually your church dwindles until it closes its doors. And that's always sad when a church, uh, a local church uh passes away would probably be the wrong term but it closes its doors for the last time that's sad it's practical that that the more people are there the more they give it allows you to have pastors and staff members that can focus on the work of ministry i, I get that that the more people in the church the more giving the bigger the budget you can run more ministries hopefully you can have more of a missions budget you can start more community service ministries and projects yeah, sure. I understand all that. But what this article argues is that church growth is actually a neutral thing. And I'll give an example. If I wanted to start a church and I said, if you show up to my church, I will give you a million dollars every week. Stuart, if I offered that, I said, all right, come to my church and you will get a million dollars every week. Do you think I would have a large church or a small church? I would assume you have a large church. I bet I'd have the biggest church of all time. If you have a million dollars to waste on me every week, then yeah, that church better be perfection. Yeah, absolutely. I bet my church would grow like crazy. But that would be, even though I'd have the numbers and I'd go around to all my pastor friends and I'd say, look at, how, look at my church and how well we're doing. That church growth would be negative because that's not a good reason to be a part of a local church that, oh, the, the local church is going to make me rich. All right. But now let's let's switch gears a little bit. Give a different example. Let's say I'm faithfully preaching the word. Let's say I'm faithfully evangelizing and I'm serving the community. I'm feeding the hungry. I am clothing the naked. I am giving water to those who are thirsty and i'm unashamed for the gospel jesus all day every day nothing but jesus that we're sinners we need uh, god to save us we couldn't save ourselves just the good old gospel we need jesus in our lives as our lord and savior all right and let's say off of that faithful preaching and that faithful gospel serving the community my church blows up that man we 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 can't have enough services and we church plant we have multiple services and we're church planning and we're sending missionaries and god is blessing us because of our faithfulness for the gospel then unlike my other church example that church growth is good so i think that's something we need to keep in mind church growth is actually neutral that just because you have more and more people being joining your church doesn't mean you're a good, healthy local church. Sometimes we offer the bells and whistles. 
We offer the entertainment. We offer the goodies. And, and some of that stuff's not bad. Like, I don't mind going to a church and let's say they have a nice bookstore. Hey, I like a bookstore. Or they have some nice coffee. I, I like some good coffee. Those aren't negative things by, uh, in, in, in by themselves. I'm messing up that phrase. You know what I'm saying. But if that's the reason why you go to church for the bells and whistles, church growth for that reason is a bad thing. Well, what does the preacher say? Are we preaching the word? Are we preaching Jesus? Are we not shying away from calling sin, sin, while also preaching with grace and love and kindness? Are we being good listeners? Are we serving in the community? Are we sending missionaries? That stuff matters more. So the bells and whistles, sure, that's, that's nice. Maybe we want some good lighting. Maybe we have a very talented crew with audio, visual, all the technical stuff. Let's say we have talented singers and, uh, and musicians. All that stuff's fine as long as we can actually offer substance, and the substance is what we're focusing on. I thought that was interesting. So maybe you're part of a—I've I've preached for small churches, and there's discouragement there that— Oh, we're small. We're not growing the way we would like. And what I always tell them when I preach, and let's say this topic has been brought up and they're worried about the future, I say, are you being faithful? Are you serving? Are you loving? Do you stand boldly for the truth? Are you using the gifts that God has given you? All all local churches are a little bit different. We have different giftings and we can reach different demographics. Some of us are good at one thing. Some of us are good at another. Great. We need lots of different local churches that can reach everybody. No single local church can do it all. That's not the way we were designed. We have lots of different local churches in Alabama. And to God be the glory. But anyways, I tell these local churches that healthy church is not defined by numbers. Sometimes you do the right thing and you grow. Sometimes you do the right thing and you don't grow. Different seasons, different walks of life, different demographics. But do you preach the word? Do you practice communion and baptism? Which as Protestants we would hold that would be the two sacraments or ordinances. Communion and baptism. Do you serve your community? Do you take care of those who are sick, those who are lonely? Do you evangelize like just the good old gospel? Let people know about Jesus. Friends, a healthy church is marked by faithfulness, not by church growth. Church growth can happen with healthy churches, but it can also happen under unhealthy churches that preach the prosperity gospel. You'll look at some. Now, I'm not a big fan of name and names. I, I will. You know, sometimes we point out Joel Osteen and Creflo Dollar and Benny Hinn and all the others that that sometimes their doctrine isn't that great, is it? You see a lot of prosperity preaching, a lot of just focusing on the good, the fluffy, the Santa Claus God. And that's not being faithful. And guess what? Their churches grow and they make a lot of money. And they use sometimes use the money for good. I do want to point that out. 
But anyways, church growth, remember this, is a neutral thing. It is not positive. It's not negative. What are your thoughts? Call or text in 205-941-1011. I want to hear your thoughts. When we come back, we'll talk about the future of the church and pastors struggling a bit to find young Christian successors on the other side. Greg Davis here, and I want to remind you of Priority Talk's longest-running advertiser, and that's Today's Family Dentistry, your friendly dental practice conveniently located in downtown Coleman. Make your appointment to see Dr. David Kim, Dr. Keetan, or Dr. Stephanie Young, along with an experienced and certified team of dental technicians, along with a friendly staff, I might add, who serve both children and adults with a wide range of dental services. That includes general and restorative care, along with the cosmetic enhancements to meet all of your family's dental needs. Today's Family Dentistry accepts Medicaid for children under 21, Blue Cross Blue Shield All Kids, and most commercial insurances. Give them a call today and make your appointment, 256-739-3337. That's Today's Family Dentistry located in downtown Coleman. Call today and make your appointment, 256-739-3337. Today's Family Dentistry in downtown Coleman. This is Jordan Seculo from the American Center for Law and Justice. Hi, this is Andy Andrews. Hey, Birmingham, this is Bo Bice. Hi, this is Phil Waterbeer listening to my friend Greg Davis on Priority Talk. Priority Talk Radio, Nate Williams with you. Greg Davis had to slip out a little bit after the show started, and so I've had the show tonight for the most part. He is at the UAB game. And I'm excited to hear how that is going. Let's see. As pastors age, majority struggle to find mature, young Christian successors. One of the things we'll often talk about the show is the future of the church in America. What's that going to look like? Well, friends, when the boomer generation... Uh, When that generation eventually passes on to see Jesus, there's going to be a big shift, if we're being honest. There's a lot of institutions that was started by the baby boomers, a lot of money that's there. They, They did incredible at building institutions, incredible in helping just launch a lot of crazy amazing things but then what happens is oftentimes with baby boomers and gen x it can be tough to hand the baton off to the next generation and we're finding that as pastors are getting older there's a a lack of young christian successors and so this is an article from the christian post as american pastors continue to skew older with an average age of 52 A majority now say it is becoming increasingly difficult to find mature young Christians willing to do their jobs as they prepare to retire. Data from a new Barna study shows. Let's see, it was based on 585 online reviews. And researchers found that 75% of pastors at least somewhat agree with the statement It is becoming harder to find mature young Christians who want to be pastors. And there can be lots of reasons behind that. I think one is that 
following generations numerically, this is often not talked about as much. So as we talk about just numbers declining, one thing we do want to keep in mind is that succeeding generations, following generations after baby boomer, boomers numerically are smaller than the baby boomers. The baby boomers, that was a large, just flat out remove religion from it. It was a large demographic, just a lot of people in that age group and that uh, in subsequent age groups, there's just not going to be as many people there. So we do need to keep that in mind that it's just a numbers thing with fewer and fewer children. So that's one thing. Also, I, I think that there's also a decline of the church in America. So beyond there being fewer people, I think also just there's rise of other religions nuns, those who are unchurched, de-churched, and all that. Uh, that's also another factor. Let's see. On top of that, I think that we're also not good at letting go. That how many times have we seen someone who's older just not be able to hand the baton off? Kind of being afraid, like, oh, that person's going to do things a little different than me. That person might disagree with me on some things. I, I, I just better stay in power. We see that in politics to disastrous effects. Mitch McConnell, Feinstein, uh, Joe Biden. Joe Biden is not mentally capable of being president. Now, what helps about him is that he'll he takes lots of vacations and he's not even running the country anyways. He's letting his handlers do that. So right now he's just a figurehead. So they just need a warm body to just speak occasionally, if that. So Joe Biden, you know, is not mentally fit to be president. Uh, let's see, who else? Fetterman. Fetterman, if you watched his debates with Dr. Oz, he's not mentally capable of doing his job. Uh, I already mentioned McConnell. Who else? Just, just, we're not always great at handing the baton off because we love the power. I think on top of that, uh, we just haven't done a good job of incorporating a multi-generational, intergenerational approach to ministry. I think of the book Hero Maker, which I really love, and it goes through different steps of what discipleship should look like. The I do you watch, and then we talk. Next, I, I do something, you help, we talk. And then after the next step in discipleship is you do, I help, and then we talk about you know what we need to work on. The next is you do whatever it is we're talking about. Then I kind of, I, I observe, I watch, and then we talk about it. And then finally, now that I've handed everything off to you, you've done it, I've watched, uh, things are good. Now you take someone else under your wings, you do, they watch, etc. We We haven't done a good job of incorporating the next generation at every facet of the church. The, the, the kids can run audiovisual. The kids can sing. The kids can play musical instruments. The kids can usher and the kids can greet and the kids can, uh, you know, be, be a little careful here. The kids can preach as well. The gospel can be preached, right? Doesn't matter the age. Tell people that Jesus is alive. 
You don't need a fancy degree for that. And so we need to do a better job of incorporating the next generation. Encourage the young people in your life, if they have leadership qualities coupled with mature uh uh, just mature characteristics like they have uh, they're able to handle themselves well and they, they're virtuous they're not arrogant if they're leaders and also they have the the character to to back up being a leader then encourage them to to step up we need to be thinking about the next generation, as I know many of us already are. What are your thoughts? Text in 205-941-1011. When we come back from break, we're going to talk a little bit about the Maui fire, just the tragedies there. What do we do? How do we handle heartbreak and trauma? We go to the Lord as is, you know, he's our rock. He's our He's our shield. In our time of need. We'll talk about that on the other side of the break. This is WXJC Radio Priority Talk. If you missed any of tonight's show, make sure to check out our podcast, Priority Talk. Uh, also follow us on social media at Priority Talk. Don't go anywhere. Uh, anywhere. It's helpful to pronounce words, right, Stuart? That, that would be great. Don't go anywhere. Maui Fire on the other side. Hey, Priority Talk listeners, care to make a quick comment or ask a question for Greg on the air? Send the code PTR to the number 205-941-1011 to join the show's text line where you can communicate with Greg during the show. That's 205-941-1011 and send the letters PTR. Thanks for listening. And now back to Priority Talk with Greg Davis. My life be like... Welcome back to Priority Talk Radio. My name is Nate Williams, and now we're going to talk a little bit about the fire that consumed a town on the island of Maui, and not so much from a news perspective. There will be some some statistics I'll cite and all that, but just how churches in the area have responded. This is from a Gospel Coalition article, a Mercy on Maui. Hawaii churches lament and serve. Uh, three weeks after an inferno raged through the town of Lahaina or Lahaina on the island of Maui, authorities are still working to identify dead bodies. They're still looking for more than 380 missing people. That's a lot of people that are still missing. Uh, anyways, uh, search teams are still hunting for human remains in collapsed buildings and in the water. And while largely contained, the fire that burned more than 2,000 acres is still burning. There is so much that is unknown, Pastor Rocky Kamatsu said. We don't even know all the challenges right now. Things move slower here and we are isolated, so we do know there are going to be lots of needs for a long time. It feels very overwhelming. Kamatsu, who planted a Southern Baptist church in a town 26 miles east of Lahaina, or Lahaina, I'm not sure exactly how it's pronounced, but you know what I'm talking about, first learned of the fire when his aunt posted a video on Facebook. 
I was shocked, he said. It showed walls of flame that had engulfed the entire community behind Front Street. He's no stranger to fires. He was born and raised in Hawaii and spent most of his life on Maui, where fire crops, uh, fires crop up often, especially on the leeward side of the mountain that gets less wind and rain. But this one was different, bigger, faster, and more intense. We couldn't connect with friends on that side because the power was out, so there was no reaching them. The only thing we could do was pray. I'm going to pause there for a moment and just sometimes I will confess this is me. Like We read about tragedies and we're kind of desensitized at this point. Oh, a, a bombing in Israel, uh, a fire in California, a uh, tsunami, earthquake, uh, something in, in another part of the country or another part of the world. And we get desensitized, riots in South Africa, and persecution of the church in China, people starving in North Korea. And we are bombarded by just a lot of tragedies all around the world. And and, and because we can't care fully and completely and intensely about everything right we don't have the emotional bandwidth to do that sometimes we tune out it's like oh there's a fire in hawaii okay oh a town is consumed by fire okay and what stories will do is they'll kind of wake us up from that we read statistics and it kind of goes one in one ear and out the next and that's why i'm doing this there was a fire in hawaii that was devastating and so i'm I'm reading the story so we can kind of uh just get a ground level look that this was very scary and a lot of people died in the past three weeks Komatsu and other pastors have done a lot more than that well, well pray is what that's referring to prayer but also a lot more they've passed out supplies housed families and sat with stunned survivors they've preached to new visitors they've received donated copies of uh, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy from Crossway, and they're drawing up plans for long-term assistance. Uh, so basically, Gospel Coalition interviewed uh, interviewed several pastors to get their perspective. Uh, the question was, when you heard about the fire, what did you do? And one pastor named Jay Haynes said this. He's the pastor of Kahului Baptist Church, which planted... Kamatsu's Wahoo Community Church. Again, I'm probably butchering the pronunciations, but I'm trying, folks. That's all I can do, right? Anyways, there's a Baptist church, community church. And so this is Jay. Wednesday morning, I woke up and thought, okay, it's really bad, but I'm sure everybody got out. I'm sure that this is being handled well. But as the day went on, we realized we didn't know where several of our church members were. They worked at the resort over there. Their kids were worried because they didn't come home and we couldn't get in touch with them. So I was trying to find them and days later we did. Then we heard the roads were being shut down and officials weren't letting supplies in and people didn't have water or hygiene supplies. At that point, we realized we had to get over there. We made a few posts on Instagram and it snowballed. Our church became a central distribution hub in central Maui. 
We had truck after truck come by when they could get clearance from the police to get to Lahaina. When they had shut that down, we loaded up boats. We did that for three days before organizations like the National Guard or Samaritan's Purse got there. Because people had lost their homes, I also asked on Instagram for air mattresses and cots, and people brought them. We put people in our church and provided overnight security. We did that for three nights. Uh, Let's see. Komatsu, another pastor, said this. I went into Lahaina on a plane Thursday morning with supplies. Then later that afternoon, Jay and I went in a convoy of trucks loaded with more supplies. It looked like when you, what you see on the news when a country goes to war. It looked like a bomb had gone off and destroyed the entire town. It was heartbreaking. There wasn't a ton of smoke be, uh, because the fire was slowly dying. It was very somber. It didn't feel real. It felt like a nightmare. We brought in things like food, water, diapers, baby wipes, adult wipes. Later, we switched to propane and generators. So the article goes on to to just talk about uh, different ways they responded, different aspects of their churches and things like that. But one thing I thought was interesting was the question asked in the article, uh, what did you preach that Sunday or did you preach that Sunday? And uh, one person said, this is Jason Hill, uh, an Anglican rector who recently planted Kingsfield Anglican Mission Church 25 minutes from the town. Uh, let's say there was, uh, he said that they sang It Is Well With My Soul and ate a meal together. So there was prayer and singing. Haynes said that uh, he preached a sermon, on, a 15-minute sermon from Ecclesiastes on lament and sorrow that we're going to experience in this life. And then the next Sunday preached uh, from Psalm 42. And then Komatsu said that uh, a friend preached on Romans 5. And then the next uh, Sunday, I preached on lament from Psalm 13. So anyways, in the next uh, segment, once we go to break, I'm going to read from just some of those passages, Psalm 42, Psalm 13. I think Psalms are incredible for that purpose to where sometimes people think that when we pray to God, it has to sound pretty. The stereotypical joke we say is like, oh, when you pray to God, sometimes it feels like you have to pray in King James English, these and thous and the thuses and the all, all those things. And that's not true. Psalms allows us to, uh, to pray the really ugly emotions that sometimes we feel. And uh, it, sometimes our thoughts and our emotions are not pretty. And people think that, oh, as a Christian, I always need to have a smile on my face. And I do think that we should be generally joyful. We worship a risen Savior. God is good. He's blessed us with so much. But life happens, and things don't go our way, and we face tragedies and traumas. And we need to be able to express that in ways to God, because God doesn't want to just hear from us when things are going well. He wants to hear from us all the time. And it's through the Psalms that we can express ourselves in all these different ways. Sometimes David was happy. Life was going well. Sometimes David was being pursued and chased and hunted, almost died multiple times throughout his life. And he also expresses that through the Psalms. And I think that's very helpful. 
But anyways, I, I read the article, like I said, just parts of it. You can read the rest on the Gospel Coalition website, just so that kind of hits home that on Sundays we attend a local church and that maybe throughout the week we'll go to a Bible study or a church event or something. There were churches on Hawaii during this time, uh, on Maui, and they had a lot of work to do. And they had to handle grief and obviously still grieving. Right now, like I said, there are still 380 people missing. That's a lot of people that family members, friends aren't sure they'll ever see again. And maybe at this point you can almost assume that they've passed away, at least the vast majority of them. And people are looking for human remains in the midst of this great tragedy, where is God? Where are the people of God? Sometimes it's good for us to go beyond a headline like, oh, there's a fire in Hawaii, and and realize that there are individual lives that are affected in communities. And I think articles and stories like this are very helpful. When we come back, we're going to dive into those Psalms. Psalm 42, Psalm 13, what do we do? How do we pray? How do we worship? in the midst of tragedy. Uh, It's something that we could use ourselves, that maybe in your community you're not dealing with fire, but I bet you are dealing with cancer. I bet you are dealing with poverty, homelessness, uh, divorces, broken families, drugs. What do we do when life hurts? Uh, I know that we can rest in the comfort of God, and we'll hear some of those comforting words on the other side. Priority Talk. Scale your business with a dedicated team of experts. A marketing vendor focuses on profit. A marketing partner focuses on your business. With Dot Edison, there is no more taking, only serving. Feel great about your marketing with Dot Edison. Call them at 205 332 3728 or go to their website at .edison.com. This is David Jeremiah. Hello, friends. Michael Youssef here with Leading the Way. Hi, this is George Barner, researcher and author. Hi, this is the Reverend Michael Spurlock with the movie All Saints. This is Brooks Gibbs, author and speaker, and you're listening to Greg Davis on Priority Talk. Nate Williams here, Priority Talk Radio. We're coming to the end of our show. Remember, we're on Mondays through Fridays, 5 to 7. So make sure to tune in tomorrow for good conversations. We've recently had some very interesting guests on the show. And uh, we'll we'll have more book conversations, life conversations with you uh, as time goes on. Just some exciting things. You can check us out on our social media accounts at Priority Talk, Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, so you can see some of the people we've been able to talk to recently. But anyways, tying back in our last segment, talking about the fires in Maui, what do you do? What do you preach the next Sunday? What do you preach the next Sunday after uh, 9-11? What do you preach the next Sunday after a local school shooting? 
What do you do when a fire has consumed your town? We hear from some of the pastors that they went to the Psalms. I'll read Psalm 42, which is what uh, some of them said they they read that uh, one of the Sundays following the fire. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony, as my foe taunt me saying to me all day long, Where is your God? Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Wow. That is so incredibly powerful. My tears have been my food day and night. I, as many of you know, I love apologetics. I would call myself an apologist. Now, maybe not, you know, a national apologist. You think William Lane Craig, Frank Turek, Greg Kokel, uh, back, you know, Sean McDowell, Josh McDowell, uh, some of the big names, right? Those are the national and international apologists. So, no, not that level, but maybe a local apologist. And... One of the toughest things you'll hear, toughest questions, is is addressed here in the Psalms. Where is your God? What, What do you say? As my foe taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? What do you say after a tragedy? Like the the fires in Maui. I don't know if you say fires, plural, fire. You know, I don't know the exact proper way of saying it was it one big one multiple smaller ones some combination where is your god where's your god when there are miscarriages and where's your god when marriage your marriage falls apart where's your god when a loved one passes away where's your god when you're facing a terminal illness and chronic pain It's enough really to bring tears to your eyes because 
we don't always know why God allows suffering, that I wish I knew why there is a fire. And now you can give big picture theology answers that we can talk about the fall. We can talk about the curse. And those things are true that we choose of our own free will to make horrible decisions. And God allows nature to do what nature does with, you know, destruction and mayhem sometimes also along with some great beauty as well. But we can't always answer why individual localized tragedies happen. Like you can have the big answers overall, but why does an individual tragedy happen? I'm not always sure. But what I do know is that God promises one day that it's not going to be this way. One day Jesus is going to come back. That I, I wish life would be easy sunshine, rainbows, the actual rainbow, not what it's been perverted to, but sunshine and rainbows and uh, lollipops and candy canes. And I wish, but I'm not God. That's not for me to decide. And so ultimately we're left with the psalmist's words in verse 11. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. That kind of recalls the the book of Job. It kind of makes me think of that book where, in the end, God doesn't necessarily tell Job why he suffers. God does not give him a nice apologetics answer that makes everything just so pretty, easy to swallow. No, God tells Job that I am God. Who are you? Did you, did you hang the stars? Have you measured the different aspects of the earth? Have you tamed the seas? No, I am God. You are not. So as Christians, that's ultimately what we're left with is what will we put our hope in? Will we say, oh, there's tragedy. I'm going to leave God and I'm going to believe what I want. Well, that doesn't make a lot of sense because that means you then are going to worship you. Can you stop the tragedies? Can you end all the evil? Can you remake the world and cause all suffering, sin, injury, illness to cease like God can and he will one day. So to stop believing God, what are you, what are you going to do? You're going to believe in yourself. You're even less capable. You're even less powerful and knowledgeable and wise. That doesn't seem like a better alternative. But we put our hope in the resurrection. That because the tomb is empty, he is risen. Jesus is alive. That one day, regardless of the tragedies and the traumas, we will rise again with Christ. And it's all going to be okay. It will all be all right. So I think Psalm 42, when you're heartbroken, when you don't know what to do, don't know what to say, it's okay. Sometimes we feel pressure when we pray like, man, I need to come up with all the coolest things to say and, and all the prettiest poems to tell God. No, you don't. Obviously, you can pray, you know, extemporaneously, just whatever's on your mind. But sometimes when you don't have the words, pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms that God has given us words 
during the dark periods in our life when we don't have much to say. I think Psalm 42 is very comforting. What are your thoughts? I want to hear them. Text in to 205-941-1011, but be praying for those in Maui, unbelievable suffering and tragedy. If if you can, if you feel led to give items or give money to to appropriate helpful agencies that will then use it for good and won't swindle you out of your money. Sometimes that happens depending on who you give your money to. So be careful with that. Give to charities, those who do good work there. And let's always be serving our communities. Friends, we're on Mondays through Fridays, 5 to 7. Make sure to tune in tomorrow. This is WXJC Radio, Priority Talk. It has been wonderful to be with you tonight and talk with you. Check out our podcast, Priority Talk. If you missed any of tonight's show, we'll be back tomorrow.